Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Hey, it's been a little bit of a while. Sorry that we yeah. couldn't make last week work, but I am so glad that you've got this other podcast that we were able to share with everyone. Um, and I hope you folks liked it. Yeah. Well, I am so glad that I have like episodes from the other podcast to share. So if, in case you missed it, it was an episode of the podcast called 30 Wood. And 30 Wood has asked us to talk about their podcast, their podcast, my podcast. Um, they've sponsored actually uh, two episodes of Sandy and Nora. And then it just worked out really well that I had this conversation between me and Pam Palmiter. So if you haven't had a time to check that out, had a time. <laughs> you will have a time if you check it out. But if you hadn't have had time to check it out, you really should because it's a really fun conversation. And Pam is, Pam's so amazing because she just does so many things. Like she's all over a lot of different stuff. And in particular, I mean, you might know her activism, you might know her writing, you might know the academic work that she does, but I didn't realize that she had a children's podcast and it is so what? cute. And oh so if you've God. got a kid, like a little kid, yeah. If you got a if you got a little kid, find her podcast. It is so cute and fun, and you'll love to listen to it along with your kids. Oh, that is just excellent! I'm so glad to hear that. Um, so, how are you doing? What's going on? Uh, how was your long weekend? How was your short weekend? What's what's happening? <laughs> Spring has sprung, which I have been loving. Uh, it's a little too early, so I've also been dreading. And all of the stories about droughts and stuff around the world have me a little bit um, sad. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. I'm a little sad about the weather, but it is almost spring. It is kind of spring. It is spring. There are flowers, so. I can't get too mad about it. Um, I'm not. I'm not sad all the time, so <laughs> pretty good. And you, like, what's spring like in LA? Is there even spring in LA? <laughs> uh, this weekend, finally, the sun has come out. So, as you've probably heard me talking about forever, we have had some really unusual weather this season, this winter in Los Angeles. But this weekend, the sun finally came out. So it's been really amazing to spend some time outside. Uh, I was in Toronto very briefly for the long weekend. And so I got to see my family. And that was really cool. And at some point this week, I also did uh, a talk to some folks who are working in the film industry who are doing impact production work. And so that's work to try to deepen the impact of mostly documentary films um, to, to make sure that more people see these films who need to see them and to, to make sure that they're, um, the impact of these films go beyond people just watching them on screen, but have an impact on shifting the world uh, and for various different topics. And so it was really exciting to speak to those folks. And a couple of them were Sandy and Nora fans, and that was cool. No. So uh, thanks to, to those of you who were at that session and were so great and generous to me. I really appreciate it. It was a great, great conversation. Oh, I love that. And it's, oh, it's, it still feels so much like we're in isolation in a lot of ways. And so it, it just, it's just so nice to be able to talk to people about the podcast in real life. So, oh, that's really, that's really special. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, we got some people to thank. Should I, should I get along and thank them? I am so into the, the graciousness. Let's, let's be grateful. <laughs> 
as always, thank you so much for sharing the podcast and spreading the word about Sandy Nora. We really rely on you to share our podcast. You know, there's no better way than word of mouth. And frankly, there's uh, no uh, other other way. <laughs> so we appreciate that. And so for everybody that donates money to the podcast, we also love that. Obviously, you help to pay for all of our costs and a little bit of our time. And so this week, especially thanks to Janelle, Jasper, Jason, Michael, Pete, Elise, and Anna. Thank you so, 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 so much for your support. Yes, thank you so much. Um, so, Nora, there's there's a couple of really terrible stories that I think we have to talk about before we get into our main uh, topic for today. You know, in, in some ways, I wish that we were, like, um, better at deciphering international news. Like, you know what? Actually, we're pretty damn good at it. But, like, <laughs> the leaked cables <laughs> news, which is the news that is all over the place, I, like can't really make heads or tails of it. I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. I feel like I woke up out of some sort of like, uh, you know, terrible situation and ended up in, in the cold war. Like I just like, are, is this, is this 2023 or is it 1975? I don't know. I'm confused (laughs) and uh, I wish I could make heads or tails of it. Um, but because otherwise, because I would want to talk about that. And maybe there's a way that we can um, do that at some point soon. Uh, but there are other things that we'd like to discuss uh, today and some things that are, are pretty terrible uh, that we need to update you about before we get into it. Yeah, yeah. Let's first start with the news related to the murder of Hoden Hashi. So folks might remember that Hoden Hashi was a young woman and her murder was caught on camera. It was at a bar in Saskatoon. And I I didn't watch the video. I don't know, Sandy, if you ended up watching the video. I, I tend to not. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. But all of the news around it was that it was violent and disgusting. And basically you watched a white woman murder her in the middle of this club while lots of people watched. Uh, Sandy, there's an update in the case. Yeah, there is an update in the case. So this, uh, the woman, uh, her her name is Paige Terio Fisher. She was charged with second degree murder, which was later adjusted to a manslaughter charge. And that charge has now been stayed. Mm-hmm. I, it, I mean, that's, it's pretty stunning uh, that that's the case. Um, the prosecution is saying, uh, the Crown is saying, that the fight was mutual, um, that there were no weapons, and that um, the this the, the Hoden Hashi, this black young woman, um, like fell on a piece of grass glass on the ground. Now, people who have watched the video online um, described it very differently than someone falling on a piece of glass. Uh, when I first came across this this story. Uh, so, I mean, that seems very strange to me. And apparently there were several videos of this, which is also like just very strange, like the situation of watching this happen and then recording it and not doing anything about it. But uh, the prosecution has stunningly determined um, that they they want to stay these charges. Now, uh, apparently they can, uh, you know, uh, unstay the charges, uh, start up the case again, if they do so within a year. But that's very 
Um, that's very rare that something like that happens, but it is still possible. Uh, organizers are holding protests in cities across the country in response to this, but it's just still, again, it's like, you know, you have, um, you have this evidence, you, you have a video, you have tons of witnesses. Is this not worth an investigation in a court of law? And then uh, on top of that, you know, that's something that that whole family, the whole community has to contend with. And on top of that, you know, there, the the woman uh, who whose charges were stayed, uh, you know, was able to give a press conference, which also seems just so uh, bizarre and unlikely to talk about uh, her own experience. Uh, I just I don't know. I just can't imagine how awful it must feel to be a part of that community. Um, and uh, to be a part of the family for whom uh, this has happened, because to not even have more investigation, so you could find out a little bit more about what happened, like that's not that's not worth it. Like I, I, when you know exactly whose hands this happened by, it just seems really stunning, and it cannot be ignored um, that this is a, a case uh, that is against a white woman. So I just I'm like I'm really. I don't know. It just it feels all very Canada. Yeah. Well, and also just to to put a finer point on what the video shows. I mean, I'm not going to describe the the graphicness, but the 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 half a minute video showed Terry Fisher repeatedly. This is from CBC. Repeatedly striking Hashi in the face and the neck area. So this is what I'm really confused by because you know, if you are in an altercation with someone and they die. And let's say you didn't mean to do it. Like, that's called manslaughter, right? That's called, holy shit, my actions led to the death of somebody. And it just seems so bizarre that without even going to trial to actually go through the details of what happened, there were obviously a lot of witnesses if this was caught on camera of a couple of different uh, people and a couple of different angles and just ditching the, the charges, as you say, very, very Canada, very disappointing, um, all love and solidarity to Hoden's family and friends. And if you are interested and you want to get involved in some of the campaign to fight to reverse the decision of the crown, um, watch online. There's a lot of information online. So look up Hoden Hashi's name, and I'm sure you'll find something if there's anything nearby where you are. Organizers are requesting that uh, people who are concerned please uh, send an email or call the regional crown prosecutor, and we can put that information in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. The other case that we wanted to make sure that people had on their radar is the death of Linda Beardy. Linda is an Indigenous woman. She was 33 years old from Winnipeg, and her body was found at the Brady landfill site. Now, when she's the fourth, at least fourth body to be to be found in a landfill, the third at the Brady site, um, if I'm not mistaken, this past year. And originally the police were saying, oh, this is suspicious. We'll investigate. Then they've decided that it's not suspicious, that they believe that Linda got into a dumpster and then accidentally died. There's a huge outcry from the community in Winnipeg saying this is insufficient, there's not enough information, that there needs to be more research and more information coming from the police, because again, all of the power is in the hands of police here. And again, it's another one of these situations where it's like, you, you know, you would not be treating it like this if it was a young white woman, like very clearly. 
And um, and so the community has been uh, de- condemning this and continuing the camp outside of the landfill, which was set up in the aftermath of finding other bodies at the landfill. And I know that folks have been outside of the Brady Road landfill uh, consistently demanding that resources be put in to, to better search uh, the landfill uh, to see if there are other bodies there and also just for more accountability from police. Yeah, this is, I mean, the the other thing about this case that is just so enraging is it just, it, it just recalls a number of other incidents of a particular community that our society devalues saying something is happening here and the police saying nothing is happening here. Like they are saying, I think the the exact quote is they have no information to suggest that this is related to any of the other cases in which women's uh, remains who are indigenous are found at landfills. Um, you know, it, 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 it sounds like other cases that we've seen, whether it's the Picton case or uh, the case in the village in Toronto, where a community is saying something is happening here. There is a serial killer. And the police are saying, we don't have the evidence. Well, <laughs> maybe it's because you don't care and you don't try to find the evidence. You are the people who are supposed to be looking into this. They're saying there's nothing to suggest that these cases are related. Actually, there's something pretty big to suggest that the cases are related. And that is where those bodies were found. And uh, I, I think like responding in that way as though, as though um, you know, putting these things together is... Um, not completely logical is is outrageous. You know, we we know that um, that that these incidents have happened and are continuing to happen because of how we refuse to deal with femicide, because of how we refuse to um, to to seriously engage in the ongoing occupation of Canada of this place um, that is called Canada that we that the occupiers call Canada and it's pretty I don't know I just yeah it's 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 horrifying um and it's just another uh notch in that peg of reasons why uh the police are not to be trusted Mm-hmm. Well, especially considering like news has literally just come out in the past week of a of a potential, well, certainly a serial sexual abuser who's been targeting sex workers in Calgary and drugging them. And one apparently at least had been confined to his uh, his property. I mean, he was a renter on the property for something like a year in some news courts that I'm seeing. So, yeah, like <laughs> we can't trust police, can't trust anything that they say. Families are right to be frustrated, and we all have to keep an eye on, on on what's going on and be involved in local activism where we can be to demand that information be shared or that practices be changed or that systems be fully dismantled. Here, here. So with that, why don't we get into um, the the main reason for us coming together tonight, our main topic for tonight? And I think we're going to talk about Public broadcasters. (laughs) Oh, yay. And no, we're not talking about C11. So, I mean, you may have been like, oh, great, Sandy and Nora talking C11. Nope, that's not what we're talking about. You can get that news elsewhere. (laughs) Go to Canada land. They really care about that. (laughs) 
Yeah, actually. Yeah, they do. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you, this, what we're going to talk about is like the, the raison d'être de, uh, uh, public broadcasters, like their purpose, what they're for, how we should think about them, how we should understand them. And I believe, Nora, that you had some interesting interactions with people on a website that is slowly dying that we call Twitter. Um, care to share? Well, this past week, there has been fury and fervor from the Conservative Party of Canada related to the fact that the CBC has been labeled by Elon Musk as state-funded media. Or what? State-funded media? No. State broadcaster? What the fuck are they saying? State government-funded media. So that's true. The the CBC is government-funded media. That is... Correct. That's where they get their money from. It's from the government. Now, there's other government-funded media in Canada as well, like a lot of other government-funded media, because the federal government has been funding a lot of private for-profit media, which we will get into. But Pierre Polyever is really making hay out of this. And on Sunday, he writes, breaking, CBC officially exposed, exposed? Dude, did you really say exposed? Okay. As quote unquote government funded media. It's like your campaign to defund the CBC that's been going on for 25 years. I think that it's premised on the fact that it's government funded media. This is not an expose, you fucking piece of shit. Like, come on. But anyway, so this is this has led a whole bunch of different kinds of questioning to happen. And the questioning is like divided between folks like Polly Ever who hate the CBC and want it to be defunded. Then there's like liberals who understand that the CBC stands for something and is not an, an arm of the government, is not a mouthpiece of the government in a way. And they're they're fervently defending the CBC. And in their defense, they're kind of missing the point. And then there's like a small group of us that like actually get the fact that, you know, CBC is fucking too close to the government and is not at all critical at all, at all, at all to the government. While at the same time, you know, we're smart enough to talk about why we do need public broadcasting and what are the changes that need to happen to CBC. So that's that's kind of what is going on. And that's going to set the table for the conversation that we're going to have tonight or today. Yeah, I like very much hate that Elon Musk has anything to do with us having this conversation. I really dislike that. <laughs> but but here we are. I think it is worth noting that yes, Twitter is going through this weird thing where they they are um like attempting to 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 paint um any public broadcaster that receives any sort of funds in like the same brush as uh, like a, a state sort of propaganda machine. But again, that being said, that's not to say that propaganda does not end up on a place like CBC, even though there should likely be a distinction between those two things. But I suppose we'll get into that. What I think is useful to start the conversation is to say very clearly that like information about our world we need okay we need information about our world and we need information about our world to come from reliable sources this is i mean i'm not saying anything that is revolutionary i think we can all agree on that i think if we are going to continue to you know pretend that we live in like a a real democracy which um you know i don't really believe but like if we're going to continue to pretend that like one of the necessities for that is that we need 
um, good and accurate information, uh, as accurate as can be, um, coming from, uh, from reliable sources to tell us a little something about our world. What I think we can also admit is that we have not found a way uh, a good way to fund that kind of service. I, I don't think it exists. I'm looking around and I don't see it. In this, in the system that we have right now, what uh, Pierre Polyev is suggesting is that the CBC, because there is government funding that is going to it, that uh, takes it all the way to this, this idea that it is state propaganda and not worth your time, as though, as though the other mass media that we have available to us in Canada, which are completely funded through a profit motive and basically are owned by the, and their motivations are owned by either, you know, billionaires, billionaire corporations, or um, advertisers, and that controls what we see is better. It's not. It's not. And so what is necessary, regardless of where you get your news from, is a healthy dose of media literacy. And uh, more than like the financial literacy that the whole world seems to want to call for all the time, <laughs> what is necessary for all of us is to be able to cut through bullshit to recognize it, to know signs of it. But beyond all of that, um, you know, let's, let's talk about the, the CBC and how, how that's funded, how that impacts what we see, and what we could do to shift some of those things. Mm. Yeah, okay, so CBC Radio-Canada gets just over a billion dollars to operate. That is a shockingly low sum for a service that has to broadcast in two languages and have offices all across this country reporting in every part that basically you can get a radio signal, right? Like the CBC is the only thing. And what I find really interesting about the conservatives line on defunding the CBC is that it actually, if they get pushed, it always stops at local radio and local news. They they would not they'll destroy the CBC for sure, but they understand that voters like conservative voters also still do rely on listening to CBC in a lot of parts of this country, especially rural parts of this country. And it's always like when they're pushed and they're pushed, it's like, well, they shouldn't be in the business of television. They shouldn't be in the business of entertainment because um, that is unfair advantage to the private film, uh, film and television industry that doesn't have the same kind of subsidies that the CBC has. So that's, that's an interesting kind of piece in all of this. Also, we have to mention, too, that like Radio-Canada, there is no similar movement to destroy Radio-Canada. And so all of this talk about defunding the CBC, this is going to absolutely kill Polyever in Quebec because Radio-Canada is not, I mean, it's it's not seen as like the Canadian broadcaster. I, I mean, it's barely even often seen as federalist, um, depending on who's on the air. I mean, it's got a lot of the same problems as CBC has, but it's a critical node in the media world in Quebec and not just in the news world, but in creating television. And that's really, really important for a province that actually has culture and actually has a star system and actually creates music and all this kind of thing. So 
I mean, that's a political problem for Polly Ever, and 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 he is likely aware of this. But I've seen a lot of people asking about how popular he is in Quebec, and he's really not at all popular. Like they have not, the Conservatives have not eaten into any of the Bloc or Liberal votes. The Liberal Party is collapsing, and uh, the Bloc is not right now. And um, and I think that Polly Ever probably thought that he'd have more success in Quebec than he's had. So anyway, that's something to watch. But on top of all of that, like the CBC is a poorly managed, cowardly corporation. They are afraid to challenge power. They never, ever, 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 ever put the gears to people in power. It's always... It's always done in this way that's like gives politicians an out and they never necessarily need to, you know, answer to certain things. And the way that like the political shows like power and politics operate, like it's all fucking spin doctors and talking heads and paid fucking Hill and Knowlton fucking hacks and all this shit. And that runs the political spectrum, by the way. And it's all very bad. And um, and, and it's all just spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. And the spin isn't to help the liberals. The spin is just because the CBC is incapable of challenging the status quo. And a lot of this goes back to the 1980s, where in the manual at the CBC for how to do journalism, the idea of balance was introduced in the late 1980s. And I'm just reading a book called Take Back Canada by Maud Barlow and Bruce Campbell, Maud Barlow from the Council of Canadians, Bruce Campbell formerly from the CCPA. And they talk about the journalists who thought that the addition of the word balance into how they were supposed to report on things was actually the end of critical journalism in Canada. Because rather than actually being critical, you had to inject something called balance. So, uh, all of a sudden, you know, any criticism of like climate change, even if climate change is pretty much fucking clear, you always had to include that little bit of criticism so that you could achieve this fake notion of balance. And having gone through journalism school, I was so surprised to read that because we're, we were always taught like balance was like as old a concept as anything else in journalism, like fairness and accuracy. But it actually wasn't. And Barlow and Campbell argue in 1991 that this is going to destroy the CBC because Canadians will no longer be able to rely on on critical reporting and calling out bullshit and challenging people in power the way that they had been able to before. And I think that's a really, really interesting piece of all of this. That is fascinating. I did not know that either. That is a really critical uh, piece of information. I, too, assumed that this idea of like non-balanced neutral reporting was um, as old as time. But I mean, of course it's not. Like, of course that is some that is by design that someone has come up with that at some point uh, during the, like the hyper neoliberal era, uh, hyper the era of hyper uh, neoliberal change. Like that totally makes sense. Um, I think that another thing, like context-wise, that was happening at the time that probably had a huge impact on that was like this: these massive shifts that were happening in news media uh, in the United States at that time, um, just around the exact same time that you're mentioning. So, like at the mid to late '80s and early 1990s, um, there was uh, a lot of shifts in the way that. Um, the United States was um, thinking about how they were providing news. Um, and that resulted in uh, this 
you know, this is part of like, I'm writing about this right now. I think I may have mentioned it on the podcast before. I definitely mentioned it to you before, but the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission in the United States used to regulate uh, uh, networks, uh, television networks in, in the United States. And as part of having a network, if you were, you know, you have your, your, programming for entertainment, there was a regulation that required that there was also public service programming. And that public service programming was often interpreted to be news and was also often interpreted to be like a massive money pit. So it was like built into the structure of the news that they would lose millions, perhaps tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars providing the news as part of making uh, uh, making sure that they met this regulation, and they would make up for that in their entertainment programming. Well, the FCC around this time decides that they're no longer going to regulate this, and that leads to massive changes in news in the late 1980s, early 1990s to, to what we see today. It, it creates this uh, incentive for news that is no longer public service because it's not, nobody's checking to make sure that that's happening. The incentive for news becomes all about entertainment. And these networks start to look at what is it that people want to stick their eyeballs on and continue to watch forever and ever and ever. And how is that going to impact how we deliver the news? What is it going to look like? And so all of a sudden, you know, you start to get these programs that might be like, you know, these politics programs that look like they're like sports analysis programs, because in an entertainment mindset, it's like this sort of a way of presenting the news gets people to stick around rather than trying to make sure that you are doing as much investigative reporting as possible. It meant that there was a lot of elimination of uh, international bureaus, which, you know, that certainly we saw that replicated in Canada. And then, of course, that started to become recu- uh, replicated around the world because of the power of American culture in the media. That is so fascinating. And we can see that today, although I would even say that Canada never figured out how to even do entertaining infotainment properly. <laughs> like, it, no, but but you can see you can see them trying, right? Like you can see you can see the attempts at replication of like, you know, this is the era in which like 60 minutes in 2020 at uh, what is what is that? Show? You know those sort of like news magazine shows that are are more like tabloidy come uh come to be. And in Canada, you know, those sorts of programs started too. And I think that they were less tabloidy than in the United States. And they were done quite better in terms of investigative um, uh, value for uh, viewers who are watching, like trying to actually understand a thing. Uh, But certainly you can see the the attempts at replication um, in the way that our programs uh, were created, but they're, they're, they are definitely different. They definitely have a different mm-hmm. flavor. And that flavor is much like you were describing this inability to have teeth. <laughs> it just seems like that is like the personality of Canadian media. It's soft serve vanilla ice cream, but that has like a quarter of the vanilla in it that it should have. <laughs> Sugar-free. <laughs> <laughs> Sugar-free. 
low vanilla soft serve is what the fucking Canadian <laughs> media system looks like. And it's it's so interesting because, you know, in the last um, couple of months, I have been doing uh, spots on, uh, on a, an international news channel, a channel of all things out of Tel Aviv and uh, for I-24 News. And it was the first time in my journalistic life where I was on a panel with two people and I was supposed to debate them on live television for 40 minutes. And we were talking about the migrant crisis. And I was on with a guy from the Daily Caller, so the far right fascist piece of shit uh, outlet. And then a, a kind of a classic old school journalist who was just kind of like... Every time the Daily Caller guy mentioned anything, he was like, I'm sorry, are you, what the, f- what, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. And then I was just there as like the Canadian because it was a, a cross-border uh, question on migration between Canada and the United States. So I had never done that in, in Canadian television, like ever. I've never, ever, 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 ever been asked to do a debate. I mean, I almost got to do a debate back in the the years that Michael Corrin had a debate show on Christian television. And it was a very interesting show, actually. And a lot of people still talk fondly about his show, even though that was back when he was super right wing as well. But like the lack of analysis and debate, I think, is is what Canadians react to when they are frustrated with the CBC, because like the what passes for debate is so not debate it is it is like you cannot challenge orthodoxy you are not allowed to do anything that bursts open what is like the most narrowly defined what is like the 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 centrist status quo and if you try you're either completely shut out or you know or you're forced into a box and you then you kind of self-censor to be able to to do these things and the problem is that the lack of analysis is that like we get news on TikTok, we get news on on Twitter, we get news from international sources, or we get news from local Facebook groups. And we don't need a, an organization like the CBC or any news organization to repeat what we've already seen. This was the biggest frustration with the, with the pandemic was all of the news agencies putting resources in to literally copy and paste statements from public health officials and public health websites as if Canadians who were really interested in that couldn't get that information themselves by just going to the website and reading the information for themselves because there was no analysis. And when you don't give people the analysis, then then it's just like, oh, OK, like that's interesting or boring or you're lying to me or you're not telling me the whole story. And that's year over year over year over year while CBC management is very conservative and has made sure that the broadcaster sticks to a very conservative line that impacts how people interact with the public broadcaster. And you can hear the the lack of quality that comes when you don't have that analysis. Now, I'm going to read a bit of a story for you, Sandy. This is so funny. Hmm. Okay. It's First of all, it's been it's been put under the science tab. I think that this or tag. I think that this might be a mistake, but it's under science. CBC National Science News. Okay. Headline: Twitter puts quote government funded media unquote tag on CBC account. <laughs> okay. On what account? CBC account. Their account. Oh. Okay. This article is them reporting that they have been labeled as government funded news. Okay. It's unbylined. So we don't know who the journalist is that wrote this, which is another consistently cancerous practice of the CBC, that people's work is constantly erased and the byline is just CBC News and you can't connect with the journalist that's writing about stuff. Anyway, fine. Unbylined CBC News. Some poor junior journalist working on a Sunday night published this and we don't know who it is. Shout out to you. But I'm going to take that shout out back because this story is so hilarious. It's like... Twitter has put a government-funded media label on CBC's account. You are CBC. (laughs) 
Why are you talking about yourself in the third person? You are the, this is the CBC's website. You are what you're talking about. Okay. Next, the label on CBC's account is the latest move by Twitter to blah, blah, blah. Okay. Again, you are the CBC. They quote Twitter on why they've done this. They go to the United States to talk about national public radio like NPR. That's in the same situation. Sorry, that is NPR, which is in the same situation as the CBC. Then, Sandy, who do you think is the next person they quote? Just wild guess. Oh. Um, Don't think too hard. Rosie Barton. No, no, no. They can't quote one of their own journalists. They, who, who are they going to quote among the political world on this? Oh. Hmm. It's not Pierre. Of course it's Pierre. No, you are kidding. You have to be kidding. You ha- Please tell me that you're joking. No, no. It's like they talk about NPR and the next thing they move to is conservative leader Pierre Polyever, Pierre Polyever recently called on Twitter CEO, blah, blah, blah. And then they embed his tweet with his letter to Twitter. And then you scroll past that, which you, of course you, you can kidding? just click out of. No, I wish. I mean, I, was, I told you this was amazing, right? Um, Paul Yevert, uh, reaction again, saying that Trudeau propaganda, not news. The CBC has been officially exposed. No analysis in this about why Paul Yevert is doing this, what he's trying to play here, how he's fully motherfucking lying through his teeth or through his fingertips or whatever. And then they get into the CBC as a crown corporation, wholly owned by the state, but operated at arm's length by the, not, uh, from the government. So it's like, so it is wholly owned by the state. It is government-funded media. That's what the tag says. So what's the problem, CBC? You know, like, and then it kind of goes on. CBC's um, top sp- corporate spokesperson gets a quote. Of course, he's not higher than Polly ever for some fucking unknown reason. And then um, a little paragraph about the uh, revenue that they got on the Olympic Games. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, that's how it ends. Why? How is that relevant? Um, because that was how much revenue they got in advertising. Oh my God. No, sh- I, I don't want to hear it. I like, <laughs> what in the <laughs> world are you talking about? I can't, be- I can't believe that that's real. Like I, yeah. I like, I, I, I know that there's like this frustrating commitment to both sides, but that is wild. And like, you know, you saying, you know, what is the problem? Like, I, I just want to say like, it is, it's, it is a problem that like, which I think, you know, like, this is not what you're saying that Twitter is like trying to make like that Elon Musk has his own agenda here, but like CBC, you can talk about what the problem is. Like you could, like you have no problem being a publicly funded broadcaster. Of course you don't. Like that's, you're into it. You're like into (laughs) it. (laughs) It's a good thing. You want that shit to continue. Why are you, what, what in the, (laughs) I'm just really stunned. And while you were reading me that story, I decided like I would look up to see if NPR did anything similar. NPR uh, does have two stories that they've written, one that's in first person voice and all of the bylines are written. So like, you know, who wrote the articles and one's in first person voice. It's like, we are no longer doing, we are no longer participating in Twitter because blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, because if, if you don't know, uh, national public radio in the United States has decided to leave Twitter after being labeled, um, 
a state-affiliated media, which is different than what uh, CBC was labeled. I think that they were eventually changed to, to be labeled the same as what CBC was labeled, but they still determined that they wanted to leave. So that's one is that they wrote a story that was in uh, f- like kind of first-person um, uh, style. The other is that they, they wrote a story that is more, I think, along the lines of like, you know, it's not in first person. They're talking about like what has happened to NPR and Twitter, but they didn't do, I mean, they could have absolutely referred to uh, Republicans in the United States who uh, hate publicly funded anything and have been, uh, you know, uh, running this campaign against NPR, but they absolutely did not do that. They do an analysis of Elon Musk <laughs> because <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> like Elon Musk and Twitter and discussing like the idea of, uh, of publicly funded radio. So that is, that's, or publicly funded media. So that's really, really fucking fascinating that CBC took that tack with it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is a corporation that knows that it's on the ropes. Like, it's known that it's been on the ropes for a long time. And ever since the the, the board, who had been mostly appointed by Harper from, like, among conservatives, uh, really changed CBC English service, uh, their orientation and what was permitted and what was too uh, too far to the left, right? Like, this is a this is an agency that is afraid of being perceived of being right wing of sorry of being left wing and that uh because it's afraid of being perceived as being left wing it goes way too far to the right. I mean, one of the things that I mentioned on the Daily News in the past week was like a, a story about graphite mining that was full on PR for a graphite mining company didn't mention at all the indigenous communities around the proposed mine and what they think about resource extraction or anything like that. And then put the question about why it takes so long to approve um, these projects and why the projects aren't getting public funding directly to the Minister of National Resources. So fully doing PR on behalf of this graphite mining, graphite mining company. And so like the, the corporation cannot help itself. It cannot help itself. It's so, uh, and this is, this is the management. Like I blame management first and foremost. And then I blame, uh, status quo defending older journalists who gatekeep a lot of these positions, uh, journalists, producers, uh, people that work in these kinds of positions. Um, and that don't allow younger journalists to have the freedom and the flexibility to tell the stories that they know need to be told in this country and that they know are actually going to be popular if they're told in a certain way. And it's so fascinating to me because it's like, you are fucked. Like your days are numbered. And and Polly Ever is going to not touch Radio Canada. I bet he'll sever the service. That would be my guess. And completely protect Radio Canada and then decimate CBC so that it is only radio. That would be that's my guess of what they are going to actually do to the CBC. And what is the best defense? is a good offense. It's not going to be being a fucking defensive cocooning um, like armadillo in a ball right now, hoping that, you know, Polly Ever is just not going to get elected because that's a self reinforcing problem. Like if you're afraid that you look like you're getting too close to Justin Trudeau, you cannot go to war with Pierre Polly Ever in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a basic way. But you also cannot put him above anybody else in Canada in analysis about why you're Twitter account is now being called government funded. Again, as you say, as if that's something to be ashamed of, right? It's like, yes, we're government funded. Because we're government funded, we actually are not bleeding journalists. Like, oh, except they are because management keeps fucking cutting people and keeps making really shitty decisions, right? So the CBC 
I mean, the clock is running out and they need to have a radical shift in their approach to to news and in their approach to the far right if they're going to save their asses. And there's no hope in hell of that happening. The, the only one other thing that I'll mention is I got to do a lot of interviews last week on CBC Radio about the PSAC strike. So 155,000 mm-hmm. public sector workers, civil servants are in a legal strike position. And the request for this interview, because it comes through Central in Toronto, it gets sent out to all the stations all across Canada. Uh, it was overwhelming. People really, really wanted to hear about labor stuff. And so I'm, you know, I was like, of course, I can talk about PSAC, whatever. But what was the question that was most like, I felt that that the that the hosts were most interested in was like, what what is this? What is labor relations? Like when a union's going to go on strike, what's happened before in the last couple months? Does this come out of nowhere? Is this this after like two years of work? Whatever, right? And it's like people are hungry for this stuff. They are absolutely hungry for this stuff. And the CBC could do itself a favor by not fucking refusing to allow those of us in to their spaces that actually do this work. And instead, they will continue to do that. They're just, it's just, you know, just self-immolation, 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 and then hope to God that Justin Trudeau wins the next election. Then all of a sudden, all the criticism that the CBC is in the back pocket of Justin Trudeau becomes true. (laughs) Wow. I'm sorry. I'm still reeling from that story. Can you imagine (laughs) how happy the conservatives must have been to see that it doesn't matter whether a person is reading the National Post or the CBC itself, that the news coming out of this is going to parrot their line. Like how amazing that must have felt <laughs> to them. That is such, that's such a good point. Okay, two things on that. One, this literally just came out two minutes ago. I just happened to catch it. So it is going to be interesting to see how they respond to this kind of news. But you're totally right. But the number, the number two thing that I think that Canadians need to ask themselves is like, what is the material difference in the reporting between a CBC and an Ottawa citizen or a CBC and the Toronto Star or the CBC and the Montreal Gazette? There's none. There's fucking zero difference. And I think that is a really damning comment on the state of public broadcasting when there's zero difference than that between something owned by a fucking Republican hedge fund and a German fucking insurance company. Here, here. I think also, like, we have to be very clear that this tag government funded is also misleading because because the way that corporate subsidies work in this country, whether it was corporate subsidies during the pandemic or through the targeted funding to save newspapers and the oldest fucking crumbling media around, uh, those are all government funded. As people have been pointing out, I mean, there's like everything's government funded in Canada because we have no industries that fucking survive on their own. One hundred (laughs) percent. Like we're just like a government funded fucking place. That's all the fuck we are. Hello. So the fact that they, you know, that I think that there is a lot of political hate to be made on the fact that they're targeting the CBC and then they're not slapping on the government funded label to Post Media, who also received a lot of fucking money or to Rogers that received like more than 100 million dollars during the pandemic in public funding, public benefits, whereas the CBC received nothing, right? They got no pandemic funding. That was in addition to the core funding that they receive. And so like that, if we want to talk about the targeting of public broadcasting in this in this sense, I think that that's really important. And to, to say that there are almost no mainstream media in this country that are not receiving public funding. 
Um, and that is a huge fucking problem. But the fact that they're targeting the CBC, I mean, this is where the CBC needs to stand up and be like, yes, we are the public broadcaster. If the federal government doesn't fund broadcasting, if it doesn't fund fucking publishing, if it doesn't fund film, if it doesn't fund the fucking oil industry, <laughs> the industries look really different, right? And I'm someone who's like, we shouldn't fund the oil industry because that's bullshit and they should fucking die a slow or very quick death. But like that is literally how these things work in this country. And there would be no cultural industries at the fuck all if it wasn't for public funding. And so that's really what this fight is about is cultural industries. It isn't about bias. It isn't about the CBC being too close to, to, to Justin Trudeau. It's about culture in this country. And the reason why it is so easy to attack culture in this country is because we have no fucking culture in this country. We are pathetic. And no one wants to have that conversation because uh, then it's just fucking sad. And then then you'll just hear me whine about how no one wants to fucking publish my books. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think just as a final note um, is just, you know, I, I love it when we're right. And this uh, this whole debacle, this whole uh, thing that Twitter's doing and everything that's happening at Twitter is like just the proof in the pudding of what we've been saying about hanging all our eggs in the basket of privately owned uh, social media companies to to provide as much as they're providing um, to our world in in uh, in solving some of our you know uh, needs with respect to communication, uh, it's not a good place to hang all our eggs because it just takes one person coming in who has their own agenda to really fuck shit up. Well, and also, like, for Christ's sakes, like, CBC, get the fuck out of the podcast market and stop fucking making it harder for all of us independent podcasters out there that you fucking step all over. Like, go fuck yourselves and actually create a public social media platform. Like, do something that Canadians actually really, really need and want right now. And it doesn't have to just promote the CBC. It could promote other media out there. But you're the fucking ones with the public money. Do something useful. Show show us why the fuck we should fund you. Because the nostalgia of, oh, it's our public broadcaster is not good enough. But also, let's be very clear that the CBC is one of the very few remaining universal services offered by the federal government. And I think that that is also a huge part of this, that universal services are are very few and far between. And if you include the provinces, I mean, like, aside from healthcare and education, what the fuck else is there? The postal service? Like, even that has been almost completely privatized in terms of the access that we have to uh, mailing things and receiving things. If you have to go to a fucking postal counter in a, in a pharmacy or something. And so it's also an attack on universality. It's an attack on, on, our, on our culture, on, the, on, on Canadianism, Canadian English, on fucking universality. And it's everything that Pierre Pauly ever stands against. And the CBC is too cowardly to even fucking use the first person when reporting on this. <laughs>